This is Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, episode 20. You're listening to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, brought to you by the fine folks at Response Suite. And here we are back for episode 20. We start wow. people tuning in every single week to listen to us prattle on. It's true, it's true, it's true. Fortunately, we have some fantastic guests who've got us this far. I was going to say, they're not tuning in for us, mate. But they're really not. Thank you for all the tweets, by the way. And if you haven't already tweeted us, we'd love to hear from you at Response Suite on the old Twitter machine. And of course, if you haven't found us already on Facebook and everywhere else, you'll find Response Suite somewhere. We've had a bunch of people email as well saying that they've enjoyed what they've heard so far. So we're very, very excited. And in fact, because of that, we've decided to celebrate the 20th episode. That's now. We're going to do you a quick rundown of all of the episodes so far and give you our favorite little snippet from each of them. We're calling it our best bits. So everybody's talking about Facebook ads and we talked to David Schloss and he was talking about how to actually structure your Facebook ads. Because when you get in there into the ad manager and stuff like that, it's easy to get kind of confused as to what's the best way to set things up because there's there's all kinds of like campaign levels and ad sets and ads and da, 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 da. And I think what David went through is just a really simplistic way of going, here's how to set those things up and here's what each of those things are about. So let's hear what David had to say. So my, my students are basically creating one campaign with one ad set, usually that ad set is just one audience, right? So just to be uh, very basic here, let's say your audience is marketing. You want to target people in the marketing space. And then that's one audience in that one ad set. You set it to 50 bucks a day and in the location you're targeting, in my case, it'd be the US. And then within that ad set, you're going to have three variations of an ad. But in this ad set, you want to make sure that you focus on at least one form of copy. So let's say in this case, I'm going to use the long form piece of copy that I wrote, but I'm going to have three different pieces of creative. So it could be three different, uh, one video with three different thumbnails. It could be three different images. It could be the same image, but each one of the images have like a different call to action within it. The point is, is that it's the creative that's being swapped out three separate times. And now if I wanted to test a short form piece of copy, I would duplicate that same ad set, same audience, but instead I would swap out the long form copy, replace it with the short form and do the same process again. All three of those ads have the same piece of copy, but they have three different pieces of creative. And so I go through that process over and over. And what I typically find myself doing is rotating creative far more than copy. I don't have to worry about the copy until I've already had, let's say five to 10 winning pieces of creative. And then I can go back and say, now I'm going to test out different types of copy because I already know the five to 10 images that are getting all the clicks, all the registrations, all the purchases. Now I can start working on the story. I could start working on the call to actions. Now, once you've got a Facebook ad that's working, loads of people get very excited. They log into their ads manager and they take that little number, that $5 a day or whatever it might be. And they say, well, I'll make it $500 a day. You just whack a couple of extra zeros in the box. I'll be way richer. And that doesn't work. Everything breaks. The algorithm is literally programmed not to be able to handle that. And so uh, whilst the Facebook ads algorithm has evolved, that's still the case. So uh, Justin Lofton has a really great way, a really great strategy to increase it slowly bit by bit so that you can actually maintain really good cost per conversions whatever it is that you're going for so let's find out exactly what he had to say if you've got an ad set that uh, is working for you and you want to start to scale that one up the the step one is just to uh, increase the budget by 20 percent per day um, as long as that ad set continues to perform for you so 
Um, what I've found over the years is that if you start to increase more than that, it, it's, it, it tends to throw the algorithm for a loop. And then you're, like you mentioned, your, your cost for acquisitions, they'll, they'll skyrocket or they'll go up to a place to, you know, high enough to where you won't want to continue to do anything with that ad set or it kind of falls apart on you. Right. Um, so if you stick with 20% per day with that particular daily budget that you have in there and you're starting to increase that on, on the daily then that ad set should hold strong. But for most, you know, they're starting with ad sets at $30 a day or whatever. 20% really doesn't move the needle very far when they're ready to go. Um, so what you want to do there is duplicate the ad sets that are working for you. And when you go to duplicate um, those ad sets, you can then put a fresh budget on there before you launch it back into the algorithm. So you can start it at any number you wish. So you could take a $50 ad set, that's working for you, duplicate it and, you know, put a thousand dollar per day budget on that and launch it into the algorithm. And, um, and you can scale with those. Those are the two basic methods to scale. Now, I think one of the really cool ways to like bolster your Facebook ads is by using organic growth marketing as well. So you've got all of the paid stuff running over one side, and then you've got all the organic stuff running over the other side. Our friend Tanya is a real sort of wizard. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say which she's a real wizard when it comes <laughs> to, uh, uh, she's a real wizard when it comes to creating great Facebook groups and building them full of people. And we have tried to start Facebook groups in the past. And oh, they just fell been, apart. It's been embarrassing. Nobody joined. We started Facebook group, nobody joined. And that's just the way, it's a weird thing. We spent loads of time with really clever names. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> none of them, none of them worked. So we got Tanya on the call and she was able to tell us a really smart way to grow a Facebook group membership really, really quickly. So, uh, well, we'll hand you over to her. So my actual system, I'm happy to share that with you, is essentially that you, you're going to be posting content in groups at least three times a week where your target audience are. I then purposefully make sure that the day after on my profile, there's a piece of content with a call to action that gives you the link to go into my group. So people are naturally going to start checking you out and stalking you because that is the nature of Facebook. Um, so that's the way that I do things. So people go onto there and then they come into my group. Um, so that's, that's how I essentially go about it. And do you know on your profile, you can have your website. Mm -hmm. I don't actually have my website on there. It's the link to my Facebook group. That's and then, pretty ninja. Yeah. And then you have a like, Jill, on your featured pictures. Yeah. So it doesn't look as great anymore on apps i think facebook have kind of become a little bit wiser to it but if you open it up you can see it i have one picture and it says um join the community for coaches and creative entrepreneurs click here to add yourself and that arrow points at that link to my group so all this marketing strategy all this marketing tactical stuff's quite interesting it's very useful but the problem that a lot of us have is actually just maintaining that motivation to keep on doing it what is the reason that you get up every day and you log in to maybe facebook ads like we we're just talking about or any other strategy that you might be involved in and when it's not working how do you keep yourself going and i think the the real core answer to that is what are your goals what's your reason what's your big why and we spoke to ryan phillips way early in the three marketers walk at a podcast and his strategy for setting his own goals and finding that inner motivation is something i think we can all learn a ton from so uh, let's, let's let's listen to ryan first thing i do is i create a compelling vision and normally it's for three years ahead then from that i'll create a 12-month plan uh, then, you know, quarterly goals, weekly goals. So what I'll do is I'll set my uh, timer for 30 minutes, scribble out. Basically, the only rule is you're not allowed to stop writing in that time and anything's possible. There's no limits. So I write out for 30 minutes. So I have the ultimate vision. It's like uh, one page of A4. And then I have like a paragraph or two for health, 
one for relationships, one for growth and development, and one for identity and values. And you know, from that ultimate uh, vision, if you like, three-year vision, I create, I break it into thirds, and I create a 12-month plan. The 12-month plan then goes into the quarterly plan. Quarterly goals go into monthly goals, monthly goals goes into weekly goals, and then the daily goals or the daily tasks that need to happen to accomplish that. And then if I just stick to that plan, not only the, the, the one-year one goals are going to get accomplished, the quarterly goals are going to get accomplished, and then the three-year ultimate vision, if you want to call it that, is going to happen as well. And that's what I do for my goal-setting process. That's just fantastic stuff there from Ryan. And one of the big things there is really about finding that driver, finding what's going to move you forward. And one of the things that we spoke to another guest, Michael Spramuli, about was how do you define which things you should be doing, which things you shouldn't be doing, and finding out about your strengths within your business. And Michael had a really interesting yet very simple way of just nailing this on just one sheet of paper. Let's hear from Michael. Well, the good news is that you don't need to take a, a fancy assessment you don't need to spend years meditating in an ashram someplace. You probably already know your personality style, but haven't thought to explore it. So the simplest thing is I would encourage all your listeners to make a list of the tasks that they engage in most frequently in their work world that they, A, most enjoy, and B, and this is important, most excel at. Because here's a dirty little secret. Just because you're interested in something doesn't guarantee that you're any good at it. <laughs> and, and that blows people's minds because they say, well, well, wait a minute, but you know, I really like to work Photoshop. Yeah, but if it takes you a half hour to take the background out of an image and, and you don't have that, that wiring for focusing on detail and being able to move quickly, that's problematic. So you want to take a little bit of a mental inventory as far as what are the tasks that you gravitate towards to determine what are the things that you love versus what are the things that you're averse to. Hmm. And that's going to help nudge you in the direction of figuring out, all right, these certain things cluster around a certain preference or behavior that I like versus the ones I want to avoid. And that helps get you thinking in this mindset of, yeah, that's a good fit for me, or maybe some particular tasks aren't necessarily the best fit and I need to look for another solution. So there's some really interesting insights from Michael there in terms of how you can take your personality and really leverage it to get good results in your business. But I think it's also important that you find your personality in your marketing as well. You let your personality shine through in everything that you do and everything that you say, all of the content. And especially kind of when you're writing sales copy and that kind of thing, you really want it to not just sound like you've paid some copywriter loads of money and they've written about a product they don't really have any investment in they don't really care about. And so we spoke to Adela Marcy, who had some really interesting ideas about how to take your personality and inject it into sales copy that you write. And actually, this is something that I have been using since he suggested it on the episode. And it really does make a hell of a difference. So let's find out the sneaky tricks. So an extremely fun person with the advent of video sales letters, do a video sales letter. That would be my first piece of advice. But if you're right, I don't want to be on video. I don't have the time. Get your phone. You have an app on there called Voice Memos. Everyone has those. It's a voice note. Record your letter. Write it out and record it out. Or even better yet, put bullet points of what you want to cover in your sales letter based on the 15-point checklist they just gave you and verbalize that shit. Once you do that, transcribe it. Send it over to rev.com. Get it transcribed. Now you have a sales letter in your voice and your quirks and how you speak and everything else and produce it that way. The people read out loud inside their own head. 
most of the time. And they're imagining what your voice sounds like, which is why when I write, I always try to get into my client's head and their voice. So with what you want to do is essentially get inside your own head and portray that through the sales. So once you've verbalized it, you transcribe it, tell how you're ready to go, you're off to the races. And everyone's like, that's exactly how they sound because you wrote it as you speak. Sneaky tricks indeed. The next person we spoke to was Paul Mort. Paul Mort is an absolute king of using his personality to absolutely divide and conquer, you might say, in terms of the content he puts out. He's so strong in personality that either you're going to love him or you're going to hate him. And when you love him, they're the people he really conquers. Here's Paul sharing some really great tips about tapping in to your personality and basically becoming unafraid of sharing the real you. People know what to do to make more money. They know what to do to get in shape. So, so giving them more information for me isn't always the answer. You can give them information, but deliver it in a different way by wrapping it up in a story. That's awesome. It's about finding the lessons in the stuff that's around you anyway. It is, yeah. dude. It is. And, 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 it's, and the, the reason I'm able to do it in life experience, is that I always say to the guys, I'm like, listen, you will learn more from experience, particularly mistakes, than you will from any book. You'll learn more from that, but people just don't look for the lessons. Like, how can I use this? So, for example, this morning, I had someone ask for a refund, and I'm not used to that. So someone asked for a refund, it was a grand, and I'm like, I'm a little bit triggered here, I'm a little bit pissed off. She hasn't done the work, she hasn't done the work. I'm like, okay, how can I use this? How can I use this without kind of attacking her? Yeah. But I'm like, also, listen, this works. I'm giving you content that works, but what doesn't work is you. Here's why you don't do the work, because you're not, you're not courageous enough. Courage comes from confidence, here's how to get more confidence, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. So there's lessons in everything. How can I use this is a great thing that comes up. How can I use this? Now, of course, understanding yourself and your personality is one thing, but that can lead to mistakes. It's very easy for us to build our businesses thinking that everyone in our business, all of our customers are just like us and we create all of our stuff because of what we want. It's actually important to understand what your customers want and really study and analyze the data that they give you in order to kind of influence your marketing decisions going forward. And that's what Nathan Haig had to talk about. We asked him to tell us the kind of the good habits to get into when analyzing the data in your business. And he goes really, really deep into all of the powerful stuff that is possible with the tools and technology out there. So let's find out what he had to say. So what you probably want to do is you want to look at um, uh, some sort of like a reporting system, whatever that looks like. There's many, many different types of SaaS software as a service out there um, that can do that for you, the reporting. Um, if you want the Povo pack, right, that works w- works pretty well, uh, you can use something like um, uh, Google Data Studio, um, datastudio.google.com, and that will like connect you into all of your different Google properties, analytics, AdWords, etc. And it even has connectors into your Facebook advert uh, dashboard as well. Wow. So rather than sort of like say, you know, oh, every day, have a look at this, every week, look at this. Yeah. If you had a report system where you could just be like, look, I'll just open up this dickhead. There we go. And uh, there it is. It's on my screen at any time. And it's showing me my live figures. All right. Well, you can look at that anytime you want because that should be showing you like a 360 view of your business, your profit, your loss um, should be there on that screen. Okay. Yeah. So again, if you can pull the report from zero, right, then you've actually got your, your actual profit and loss. That's what you really like. Uh, am I losing money? Am I making money? So I know that most of us are in this world of online marketing and selling stuff using ads online, all that sort of good stuff. But I think there's something that be said for actually booking that trend and taking things a bit offline. 
Yeah, but it sounds like a terrifying thing to do, doesn't it? Spending all that money to, I mean, you've heard about people buying mailing lists of mm. people and then kind of like spamming them through the, through the snail mail. It all sounds just expensive and terrifying and, uh, and like dodgy legal ground, doesn't it? But you've got to remember, that's the way it used to be. All this marketing stuff used to be, they used to place an advert in the back of like one of the magazines or a newspaper and say, hey, call this toll-free recorded message and receive this thing for free. And that's the old way of almost like a squeeze page, isn't it? Like it's almost the equivalent of what we've got now with a squeeze page. So wouldn't it be interesting to actually bring those two online and that offline, those two pieces of marketing together? And when we spoke to Ollie Luke way back in episode one of Free Marketers Walk Through a Podcast, he talked about a strategy he's using right now in this day and age, which integrates the online with the offline and how that absolutely cuts through what everybody's doing and gets him absolutely massive results. Top bloke, here's Ollie. Uh, the best strategy I can give you is to literally email everyone on your list and say, you know, hey, there's an opportunity that's open to work with me or there's an opportunity to learn about X, Y, and Z. If you're interested, send me your postal details or fill in this form, give me your postal information, and I'll send you a letter uh, about this opportunity. The, there's two sides to that. The first one is the only people that will reply are massively interested in, in what you're going to send them. Uh, it's pre-imposed that you're going to sell them something and then it gives you the opportunity to send them a, a, a literally a letter in the post, which is a sales pitch, which they'll read without um, anything else competing for their attention. It's not, not on a screen with uh, lots of other browsers open or lots of other windows and tabs or all the emails on the bottom or 101 other emails surrounding it. It's literally a, a, a one-to-one sales conversation away from the distraction of the phone and the screen uh, where you can pitch them uh, on, on your product program or, or course. Um, so that's the best strategy for direct mail for me. Okay, so you're working really hard to build a list of people and then market your stuff to them. And of course, the more people you have on your list, in theory, everyone thinks you're going to make more money that way. But actually, truthfully, we've discovered that sometimes having a smaller, more engaged list is actually a better way to make more money and make more sales and also have lower costs and lower problems and lower headaches that come when you've got a massive email list. We spoke to our friend Troy Brassard, who is a data genius, a marketing genius. And one of the things that he said was that there's a simple way in order to increase the revenue, increase the sales that you make from your email list. And it's probably the exact opposite of what you'd expect it to be. A really interesting tactic. Let's find out what he has to say. And I'm not going to say you have to do email every day. Um, I don't believe in absolutes like that. But I can tell you that increasing your email volume will absolutely increase your customer value. Um, it. I have done numerous studies across thousands of clients. I just recently sent an article or an email out on this very topic. And I have never, ever found a case where somebody that has a good list, somebody that, you know, is not an outlier, somebody that's a normal good list practitioner, that more email doesn't generate more revenue. I mean, that's a pretty simple rule of thumb. And in the most recent study I did, I even compared people that email daily versus people that email two to three times a day. And the two to three times a day guys made more money per subscriber than the guys that sent out daily. And so am I saying you should just pulverize your list? No, but here's the thing. You're very revealing and you're very intimate with your list. They get to know you. People on my list know my kids' names, make comments to me in the help desk 
ask about, you know, Nicholas not sleeping through the night and stuff like that, because there's a very tight relationship with my list. And that is, is what's important, that intimacy. I mean, sending more emails sounds like a terrifying thing, doesn't it? We've all got those things that we try and avoid as marketers, which brings us nicely onto Wilco DeCry. He has been a seven-figure marketer for years and years and years, made stacks of money, got a few really great SaaS platforms, did info products before that. But you know, there's one thing that he'd been avoiding for ages, making loads of money, but avoiding this thing. And when he started doing it, he started seeing even better results in his business. Yeah, so let's hear what Wilco had to say. I would have taught myself to do webinars way earlier even though i hate them i don't like them but they work really really well right okay so because of the conversion rates you're seeing you would have gone straight into webinars much much earlier yeah because of the conversion rates for starters but also just just to learn actually what your audience wants because you know there's one thing if, if there if people are on a sales page and they just scroll through and they either buy or they don't buy but on a webinar they're going to ask questions right and what i always do when i do a new webinar I actually one-on-one send them an email you know afterwards you know, you know, actually using Gmail saying like, Hey, I saw you on my webinar. Do you have any feedback or questions? Right. Especially when you uh, start mailing back and forth, like why didn't you buy it? Why was it a problem or why did you think this, this would solve your, 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 um, your problem? Like you get so much more like information and understanding of your audience uh, and your potential customers. It's just, yeah. There's a lot of hidden gold in there as well. Webinars, webinars, webinars. That's the, that's the solution. And if you're selling anything pretty much of a sort of mid to high ticket price point, they seem to be the real golden nugget of getting people, getting people to show up and getting them to actually engage with the webinar and actually engage with your content. So you can then pitch them on whatever your product might be. But of course, what happens if those people don't show up? That's a big key thing. And we spoke to Richard Legg and he has a fantastic strategy around how do you deal with the people who just frankly don't show up to your webinars. And is there any gold within those people? Yeah, I mean, you're paying for the traffic or you're working hard to get the traffic. All of that traffic's flooding through and they're doing the big bit. They're registering for the webinar. They're giving you their information. So how do you follow up with them to either make sure they turn up or follow up with them if they don't? So let's find out what Richard had to say. So somebody who registers but doesn't show up after the, the live webinar or I say the webinar time because it's not always a live webinar, but after their allotted webinar time, they're going to get the follow-up sequence Initially, we're going to send them to the replay of the call, get them to, to watch the content, try and get engaged and excited about what they're seeing in the content. And obviously that has the pitch towards the end of it. So typically we might have a 72 hour window after a webinar where we then will kind of close the offer for that particular lead. So the first 24 to 36 hours, we'd send them to this replay so they can watch the whole thing and watch the content. The second half of that time, we're going to change it up and we send them to what I call a recap video. So this is a much shorter video. So rather than it being 60 minutes of content and then the pitch, we might spend five minutes covering over the key points of what they would have learned on the call or the replay and then kind of go into our solution, which helps address those. And, and that kind of really helps having that shorter recap towards the end because at that point, you kind of want them just to make a decision whether to, to buy or not. So they could still go back and watch the whole replay if they need to from the earlier emails. But because we're using scarcity and urgency in, in the, the sequence, we want them to make a decision. So it's easier to do that with a, with a shorter recap video. So that's for those who register, but don't show up. And now it's that really special time in the Three Marketers Walking Into a Podcast where I'm going to sing a song and Rob is going to try and guess what the song is. So do I explain the rules? Yes, it's a very simple thing. Uh, my colleague over here, Kennedy. Hello. That's him. Uh, he's going to sing a song. And you might be thinking, well, it doesn't sound too complicated, but he's going to sing a song in the style of a British pub or club singer. 
And uh, it's my job. Normally, normally it's the job of our guests, but this week it's my my job to guess what the song is. So play along at home, and we'll tell you at the end of the episode. Oh, I know what it is as well, but I just can't think of it. Oh, uh, okay, get me to the end of the episode. Well, I thought I knew what it was. <laughs> <laughs> now, back to marketing goodness. Uh, one of the things that we've both experimented with, and you do actually still, is, is sell physical products online. But usually they're like info products in the, in the style of, you know, uh, books and things like that. Yeah, turn so, that digital thing into like a physical thing. Yeah, yeah, which is nice and easy. But how do you actually start an e-com business that has a subscription leg to it? How do you actually have somebody paying you every single month for something that is a physical product? Because they're not going to buy the same book month after month after month, are they, sadly? Uh, well, that's what we spoke to John Botell about. And he's been doing this for a very, very long time and has some really interesting insights in how to pick the perfect product for a subscription e-com business. So here he is. Well, generally, they have to be um, some kind of disposable product. In other words, they have to have a lifespan to them. Um, they're, they're the ones that are going to work best. Now, if, if anybody is, is listening and they have an e-commerce store that, that doesn't have that kind of product in it, um, you know, they're selling something, maybe something a bit more um, long-term, like, I don't know, phones or something, um, where it's not kind of on a subscription natural basis, there's always the opportunity to add digital memberships to subscription uh, to physical products. Uh, and just add them into your funnel. And you should be doing that. But in terms of the actual subscription of a physical product, it's always going to be disposable things. So um, personal care products, uh, razors, obviously, face creams, uh, supplements are, are really good. Anything that has a lifespan, ideally, of no more than 30 days, um, are really good products for subscriptions that you can just ship out month after month after month. And... Um, and obviously, your, your primary costs are always getting your, as it is in all business, is actually getting your initial customer. After that, the, the actual uh, profitability on those types of products is extraordinarily high. One of the biggest topics that everyone's talking about on every marketing podcast, every blog, is of course social media, content marketing, getting stuff out there. But the big thing you've got to do is if you're going to produce, if you're going to spend the time, the money, the effort to think about, create, and then produce really good content. The big thing is to actually get that stuff seen across the platforms. And a really strong way to do that is using social media. We spoke to our pals, Andrew and Pete, about exactly how they do that. And here they are. A lot of people think when they hit that publish button, that's kind of the end game. And it's not like the promotion of your content over time is so, so, so important. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of like three kind of main strategies that you could kind of bundle them up into so you've got search you've got social and you've got email marketing and like picking one or two or a mixture of them all just to make sure people are actually seeing your content is really really important so just yeah. let's just take our our youtube channel as a great example of this so once we kind of press publish on our youtube channel well actually before we press publish on our youtube channel we're already thinking about search so we've already done the keyword research and we're making sure what we are creating content on people are actually searching for it on youtube next is email strategy so every time we publish a new piece of content it gets emailed to our email database and then secondly kind of social what we're doing we are using tools to promote on our various different social networks and we tend to create 
native content for our YouTube channel specifically, like the first 24 to 48 hours is really key to make sure that video does well. So we're putting a lot of effort and probably like a nice gauge of, are you promoting it enough? Is probably if you feel like you're promoting it too much. Once you feel like, God, I've talked about this piece of content way too much, (laughs) that's when you've probably talked about it enough. So obviously there's a bunch of different types of media that you can put out there on the social media platforms. And one of the most popular ones right now is video because videos are getting easier to make than ever before. We spoke to Matt Young a little while ago on the podcast and he answered the age old question, how long should your videos be? Because these algorithms and all these other complicated things that you and I couldn't possibly understand, Mm. that's constantly changing. So he gave us the right answer right now for what is working in terms of video length. Here he is. So in human nature terms, shorter the better. Uh, as we all know, and, and the analogy is, you know, less attention than a goldfish and so on and so forth. So if you want to ask, be very specific about this. If you can keep the videos short and succinct, that's better because it's all about the attention. Now, if you're an amazing videographer, which you can create, you know, wonderful narratives and get people to buy into the story, you can potentially make that video a little bit longer. Get into the content straight away, suck them in, make sure they're gripped. If it's a slow starter, you will lose them after, I mean, you'll be lucky to get 10 seconds out of it. Um, so, so yeah, and, and it's, you know, that's just video as an overall. That's not, you know, looking at different channels. My videos, quite, they vary quite a lot. Uh, I mean, I did daily videos for almost a year. Now, they, they worked really, really well on Facebook. Facebook is giving a huge, still giving a huge priority to videos. So, you know, there's lots of different things we can do in terms of making videos, but Facebook, it, it loves them. It puts them up in the news feed. If you start watching videos, it's going to show you more videos. So you've built a list. You're keeping them engaged. It's going really well, but you want to know what it is you need to sell them next. There's a few different ways you can do that. There's lots of online tools you can take a look at. What is really popular in the marketplace right now, or even identify a gap in the marketplace. But Neil Napier has a really great technique for finding out what it is people want that they might buy from you right now. Here's Neil. And I've talked about this before that typically when I'm creating a course, I will go through two rounds of, let's say, interviews. So initially I'll say, hey, you know, this is something like, let's say productivity. You know, I'll talk about my productivity plan and I'll say, this is something I'm really good at. And I want to talk to a few people to see what you're not good at so I can kind of create something that will help you. So I'll do a call with, say, five to 10 people, just understand what the needs are. And when you spend 15, 20, 30 minutes with someone, they will not just tell you what they need, but also what they want. So they'll tell you both the things. And of course, it's easier to sell people onto something they want because, hey, it's a new shiny thing. But what you deliver after that in terms of the content, in terms of the deliverables, is something more meaty, something more, ma- more valuable. So it's, you know, there's that expression, sell the sizzle, deliver the steak. And that's exactly what I try and do. So in the first round, I try and understand very subjectively what it is my customers would need. And in the second round where I do surveys, I actually more pointedly ask them what's the most important thing that they need right now or what's the thing that they care least about right now. So I don't need to include the latter in my course. Was that a little salsa dance move you just busted out there? Just wiggling the hips. <laughs> the salsa dancers wiggle their hips. I think they do. Think they we, do. we could find out. We could have asked one. Last week, we spoke to salsa dancer extraordinaire Paul Healy, who not only runs a very successful salsa dancing school, 
but also is an online marketer and the brains behind some really interesting online businesses. And we were talking to Paul about what does it really take? What skills do you have to master in order to become an expert online marketer, especially when you're the marketer behind somebody else's content? And he had some really interesting answers. So let's find out what they were. I, I don't think there's one, I don't think there's one key you know, when it comes to building a profitable online course, there's a whole, like a whole key fob of keys. You know, you need to get good at, at all of the disciplines, not, not just one. You've got to get good, like you said, you've got to get a, good at copy. You've got to get good at email um, follow-ups. You've got to get good at product creation, webinar, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the, 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 what, the number one thing to focus getting really great at, you can be good at all the others. The thing to get really great at is number one, create, a great product that people love, not just like, but love, and one that gets loads of great results for people, and this is the important bit, that results in testimonials and case studies. Those case studies and testimonials, which I've got a process of, of getting those from people, um, you've got to actively ask for and collect them. They will make up for any shortcomings that we might have in terms of copy and traffic and funnel building. So get good at all of the requirements but get great at creating a great offer creating a great product and actively getting great case studies and testimonials one of the biggest trends of this year for internet marketing and online marketing in general is the evolution of these chatbot things and i'm going to be honest i don't know much about them and i've often thought well i hear they're a really good idea i can see they can save me a bit of time are they just annoying and i have so many questions around how do i actually use them where where do they actually fit and our main man paul ince shared some really good practical know-how about how to use chatbots in your business and how to get people to actually engage with them i think you need to give people a reason to use it so it has to be really clear what that's for and why it might be a good idea for them to interact with it. So if it is a, a bot that can help them answer basic questions about their account or get reorders, or, or even if it's used for things like shopping, because there are bots that allow you to, to buy things like flowers or shoes or clothes or whatever it is, you need to kind of explain that first of all, because if people understand what it's for, they can decide whether or not they want to use it. They need to understand what the benefit is. So if the benefit is that they will get a quicker response if they ask the question, then they're more likely to use it because no, none of us want to be waiting on the call center line for you know 20 minutes waiting for someone to pick up to be told that you're through to the wrong department. Give people the reason to use it, explain it, make it simple, ask a simple question. Some of these bots, you know, they allow things like give them an option. What is it that you want? Is it this or this or this? These are the things that we can help with. If it's not one of those, the default thing is to pick up the phone or to, to do something else. But if you explain what it is and people understand, they're more likely to use it. The other word that we're hearing all over the internet right now is funnels. Everybody's talking about how deep is your funnel? How far are you going to push people how through? How deep it? is your funnel? No, that's, <laughs> that was going to be a BG song. Oh, I saw what you're doing there. Uh, one of the people we spoke to is a master funnel builder, an optimizer, uh, and that is Dean Holland. And uh, Dean was talking about a really cool, interesting trick, something you can do very, very quickly that will instantly maximize the cart value of every customer that you push through your business. And it'll be really, really quick to set up. Let's find out what it was. I tell you one big thing that, that made a big difference. Mm. Um, and it's pretty common now, actually, for a lot of funnels I see, but we didn't do it for a long time. And that's uh, what would be commonly called, I guess, the order form bump. Um, which in case anyone's not familiar with that term, like when you go to an order form to purchase a product, you would typically see this small little box 
um, maybe with a little arrow next to it and a little checkbox. So it might say something like, you know, would you like to add this to your purchase for $27, tick this box. So it would be something that has just a very small piece of copy because you very small, finite to actually sell that offer. But it's just like an additional offer that can be added at the point of sale where they tick a box and it adds that onto their purchase. That made a big difference to the, to the um, cart value of, an, of a new customer for us. Well, Robert, your best bits were very lovely. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was you lovely to hear yourself. Them. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really interesting to listen back to everything that's happened over the last 19 episodes and all the, all the snippets of content and all the different things we've covered. And of course, there's a lot more to come as we move forward. There's today. a lot more. There's some cracking guests lined up for the next few weeks. You do not want to miss out on this. I'll tell you what is really amazing. Thanks to the input and the feedback from our listeners. We've also, it's also interesting to listen back to those episodes and realize how much better at this we have become because of the olden days right at the very beginning we're a little bit wooden and we appreciated your feedback and our ability to become free and allow ourselves to be ourselves so there you go personality marketing whoo that's a little bit of call back to earlier on speaking of which i think it's time we uh give them the answer to the song the, the club singing song yes uh, can we hear, hear that little clip again of what that sounded like well, that was lovely, wasn't it? It was. Give that man a Brit Award. Beautiful. If that's still a thing. Uh, so, I have been thinking about it. I think I might have worked out what the song is. What? I think that it could be UB40 and Red Road already. I think it could <laughs> I'm be. I'm afraid we have to take your first answer. <laughs> My, no, no, please. I think it is This Is Me from The Greatest Showman by that woman who's in The Greatest Showman. It's, you're absolutely right! <laughs> Congratulations to everyone who got it at home. You win a free subscription to the rest of the podcast to listen for as long as you want to. Absolutely. And an even bigger high five to everybody who can. <laughs> so thank you for joining us once again. Of course, you can grab all of the show notes of all of the episodes so far over at blog.responsesuite.com. That's where you'll find all the show notes and all the other interesting things, links to the resources that they've mentioned and stuff like that. And you can follow us on social media. Just search for Response Suite on all of the social media platforms. Uh, other than that, we shall see you right back here next week. You don't want to miss out on more of these fabulous nuggets, do you? Make sure you subscribe to the Three Marketers Podcast now on your podcast player.